You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Hello and welcome to the show. Stuart Goldsmith here with the Comedians Comedian Podcast, the show that gets inside the mind of your favourite comedians and finds out what makes them tick, whether they're happy or not, uh, what they'd have done differently and why they're so annoying. But today we have someone wonderful for you, Sean McLaughlin. Uh, and I must apologise to Sean for failing to pronounce his name. I had a temporary blip a few episodes ago and uh, I just seemed to trip over his surname, which is insane. My granny was a McLaughlin many years ago. Uh, admittedly, not a McLaughlin. And the difference is extremely important. Sean is a wonderful comedian. He's done tour support for huge name acts all over the world. He's done Sydney Opera House, Royal Albert Hall, 15 dates in a row at the London Palladium. He's done it all, but we will find out uh, about his journey there from when he was an angry young man who needed, in Sean's words, either a hug or a slap, uh, and how his comedy has refined over the last seven hours of his Edinburgh shows. He really is something special, Sean, and it um, you don't want to say it pains me that he isn't more successful because uh, I can imagine him listening to this and laughing out loud at that you don't want to damn people with faint praise you'll often hear me try and navigate trying to say things like this I think I know Sean well enough and by the end of this so will you um, to say that it just annoys me that he isn't far more successful because he's absolutely got this got the the stones for it if that's not too sexist and gender based he's um, he is a really really strong comic I think in the show notes I describe him as having big crunchy oh big chunky stand up I went with with an interesting moral core that's true you can watch his uh, his uh, show online it's called Hail Mary you can find that free on YouTube um, and you can see him at the Pleasants Beneath in Edinburgh at 7.55 daily at this 2022 Edinburgh Festival the show is called So Be It and his podcast uh, with Johnny Pelham also soon coming up on the pod uh, is called Failing Better so go to Sean McLaughlin Comedy for everything you need to do with Sean follow his socials etc etc but now we are going to get into uh, the transformative effects of being on stage and indeed those of getting proper therapy here's Sean McLaughlin So welcome to the show. It's lovely to have you on. And I'm properly excited because I have been devouring your stuff of late. And I think you'll know from my giddy texts going, mate, this is, this is fucking brilliant. Mm. Um, I recently watched uh, Hail Mary, which is your show. Where, which show is that? That's like your most recent. Are you on tour at the moment? Where are, what are you doing? I am. Um... What's going on? <laughs> What's going on? Why, why have you got the trousers on? <laughs> I, uh, yeah, Hail Mary was my last Edinburgh hour yeah. in 2018. And that toured a bit in 2019 and was then recorded in 2019, which you watched. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I was all set to do a new show in 2020. Pandemic happened. And now I'm I'm doing that show or or doing that equivalent show, my seventh hour, uh, this upcoming Fringe, having already done a small smattering of tour dates for it. Uh, okay, so you're so doing the you're doing the classy grown up comedian move of Edinburgh as part of the tour. I, I yeah, I mean, I, I think that was the idea, but the problem is a few of the tour dates were moved, and so and there was only ever a handful there anyway. Uh, so I've done I've done a few then. Edinburgh is really when it 
sort of comes out and you know most people will see it and then the yeah. proper tour is is post Edinburgh and what's the show called what's the Edinburgh show it's called it's called So Be It So Be It and, yes. oh like uh, like in Pump Up the Volume <laughs> I don't, I don't know if it's I get a, that reference. It's a Christian Slater movie from the 80s. Oh, great. Okay. Um, well, sure, like that. You'll be hearing that a lot. Right? <laughs> yeah. um, so, uh, you, and just while we're talking about Edinburgh, what time and where are you? So this I'm, functions in a PR kind of way. Oh, yeah. I'm on at the Pleasance Courtyard in the Beneath ah. at 7.55. Nice. Prime time. I guess so. Pleasance Courtyard, prime location. Yeah. I'm really, I, I really love... That room. It's always been my favourite room to see things in, in Edinburgh. It's on the sort of left side of the courtyard as you come in. And you go down the stairs, yeah. and it's like, in the re- it's like half in the round. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, awesome. it's a great room. I, I, I really love it, and it's got air conditioning, and I think this, everyone I asked... And who, it's quiet because it's below the ground. Yeah. yeah. Everyone who I asked who had done shows there all said it was their favourite room they'd done. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to do it, really. And what's your... Um, where are you in your comedy career? Well, um, I sort of have no idea. I sort of was thinking about that on the walk here because I thought I should probably have some idea. Um, but unfortunately, I don't. <laughs> um, I feel like I'm in a nice, sweet spot in that I get to do... I'm getting to do a lot of different types of gig every week. And I've done a lot of very big gigs and a lot of very small gigs and a lot of in between sort of in the last few years and all of them are sort of legitimate parts of it and they're all broadly nice and I, I'm really enjoying I just really enjoy being a stand-up and I enjoy doing the smaller nights and I enjoy doing the big you've been tour doing like, support stuff and you've been doing tour support for a couple of people and doing like massive like arena tour support yeah a bit of that a bit of that but then I've also been doing you know 50 minutes at the end of an open mic night at the at the fuckle at the fuckle bin yeah and uh, and I enjoy that all I, mean, I, I really I've got a nice varied career in terms of comedy live comedy and I'm doing a, you know I'm doing more sort of TV writing and other stuff outside of live so it's pretty it's uh, I'm enjoying I'm enjoying it at the moment I think okay. and does that how does that influence the person you are on stage, which is Sean having a massive crisis? Yeah, it's definitely um, it's definitely weird, really. I think on definitely on stage, I'm a very frustrated version of myself, and I still have those frustrations in my day to day life. But uh, I would say the last few years, sort of probably from Hail Mary onwards, the frustrations are not inward as much as they used to be. Okay, and they're now. I think my my act is far more about the outside world as opposed to myself. Okay, and is is that because the therapy that you refer to on stage is now? I I don't know if that was. Did you talk about therapy in Hail Mary, or is that from I Will Prevail? That's from I Will. That's prevail. from I Will Prevail, which was your debut, your second hour. Second hour, twenty fourteen. Yes. Oh, did you watch it? I did watch it. Yeah. I, I, I also saw you in Edinburgh. What what show was it that you were at Edinburgh and you were in the not not the upstairs but the like a little the attic the attic that was whatever it takes in 2015. So that was your third third hour. Third, okay. So I saw that one live. I will prevail. I, I watched recently because mm. um, you gave me it as a subscriber related. Uh, some sort of there was some sort of is it some sort of online asset or something? Oh, I mean, calling it an asset, I think would be pushing it. <laughs> it's basically it was on YouTube. I sort of I can't tell if it's a good show or not. 
I suspect it isn't. I think there's actually good stuff in it. There's great stuff in it. But um, I basically you can now only see it if you sign up to my mailing list. Gotcha. I give you know it's it's sort of a nice little carrot to get maybe a couple more people signed up to that. And it means that people can still see the show yeah. who are kind of already... That's called an asset. That's what an asset is. Oh, is that what an asset is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. It's great. Uh, I thought an asset appreciated in value. Oh, absolutely not. Oh, all right. Okay, <laughs> not cool. necessarily. Therefore, I am an <laughs> asset in... to this podcast. <laughs> not in a digital context. Sure. I don't think they necessarily appreciate value. But if they're drawing, if they're drawing followers, maybe they're appreciating in, in that kind of way. Yeah. But so you you talked about going to therapy, mm. and um, I was really I'm interested in in your obviously it's a pre uh, a pre not a preconception. A pre, you know, something that's always on my mind. A, a, a you know, a, a thing of the show, a thing of this show. It's a okay. pre. Fucking, we'll cut this. Prerequisite? No, it's a like something that's always. <laughs> it's something I, I, I don't always think ask you should about. cut this. No, come on! It's a, a fuck. People shouting it at home. A pre. Are you trying to say pre-cum? No, <laughs> it's not, and it's not a preconception. It's a. Oh, Predilection? A, no, it's fuck me. This is killing me. Um, it's a thing that's always on my mind with this show. Great. Um, which is you know, people's happiness and the effect mm. that happiness and therapy has on the work, and particularly mm. with someone like you, who's as I said, the like the show "I Will Prevail" was like the feeling of that is I will prevail despite everything, or despite myself, or despite yeah. the circumstances, the bullying Catholic school people, you know, the kind of yeah. like the. All of that, and, and as you as you said, as you alluded to in the show, recognizing that depression is anger turned inwards, which is a sort of big facet, a big tenet of therapy. Mm. You seem really fucking angry, and you seem like a lot of that anger was turned in at yourself. And I and and you were ex- not exploiting it, but you were using that. That kind of was the wind in your sails, comically. Yeah. Back then, and then Hail Mary has got sort of energy in it, but it, it feels like healthier energy. Um, I'm really glad you said that. Uh, that's that's nice to hear because I I was well I was I was much angrier in my mid twenties when I was in therapy I was I was I guess a bit of a malaise in my life and my comedy career was sort of you know stalling a bit g- getting there I suppose but I I couldn't see the wood for the trees emotionally um, and I did funnel all of that into my stand up uh, and I, and and you know I don't regret it because I think it was. You know, there were, were definitely fun shows to do. Like that, I, I Will Prevail show was... I really liked how it turned out, certainly at the time. But I definitely don't feel angry now in that way. And I feel like... I don't, I don't feel angry when I perform. I am passionate. I mean, I'm definitely a passionate person, passionate performer. And maybe I'm loud. And I can see how that could be misconstrued as anger. Um, but I'm glad that you don't think it's still as angry because I don't. And I think occasionally it gets called that. And I sort of, I don't mind if they're enjoying it, but I sort of think, oh, but I'm, I'm not that angry, really. I am, but I'm definitely passionate. Do you watch, um, do you watch The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? I have not seen that show. I really love that show. Um, if there's one lesson from that show, Stuart, it's that stand-up comedy is really easy. <laughs> so I'd watch it. and I, 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 That's how I learned from it. It's actually really easy. But there's a, there's a bit in it, I, I guess it's not really a spoiler, but she's sort of in a relationship with a very tall man at one point. And it's the only time I've ever felt seen in a TV show. Is that something bad happens and the tall man goes, I'm trying not to react t- too much. I'm trying not to show my emotions because when tall people 
show any emotion. They people always think they're angry, and that's how I feel because I'm quite tall, and I I think people just assume I'm very angry when I'm not. That is that's a fascinating observation. Um, I'm sort of rifling through memories to see if I can kind of prove or disprove it. Don't think I can go either way on it, but I, I, I accept your, your. I mean, I guess I was angry on stage for the you first were, couple. You were of, very angry on stage. I think definitely the first couple shows I was. I was I was fucking livid, <laughs> but but you know within um, within confines. I mean, it was just more yeah. like delivering jokes in an angry way. Yeah, no, for sure. It, no one came away thinking, "Jesus, I hope he's all right." Yeah, yeah. It was more just sort of, "Oh wow, he's really." I mean, you you when you sent me the link, you said, uh, "I don't know if I needed a hug or a slap." Yeah, and yeah. I think that was a really funny way of kind of framing it because then I went into it watching it thinking, "Sean doesn't know whether this version of Sean needed a <laughs> hug or a slap." And I'm like, and by the end, I was like, "I absolutely get why he said that." Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was you know, it's a bit. I guess it, I, I was twenty six. When I did that show, it was hard to say where my career or my life was going. Yeah. And, you know, it's a kind of a scary, weird, angsty time, I suppose. But there is also, I wonder, an element to it whereby it was a bit like you just protest too much because you were on stage being very, very funny mm. about what a disaster your life was. And mm. when, I, when I see a comic doing that, I always think, yeah, but you're being so funny about it. Surely you know that this is this is itself is a success. You might be flailing around going, God, everything's mm. a nightmare, but you're doing so in a very successful way. Do you know what I mean? Like you see someone be that funny about what a disaster their life yeah, is, and you yeah. sort of think, well, they're going to be all right. They're only fucking funny. <laughs> oh wow, I'm glad you think so. It definitely didn't feel like that though. Okay, okay, um, and you're right. I mean, I'm like my mm. knowledge of what uh, Sean McLaughlin is is from the outside. I. I've always heard people go, oh, Sean's fucking brilliant. And I've seen you be really brilliant and kind of been like, oh, he's really good. We forget that the person on the inside of that circle either yeah. doesn't, isn't being told that stuff or, of course, it's easy to sort of shuck off your own positive reviews. You know, we don't notice those ones so much. Yeah, and I guess it's also, it's just, I think when you're trying to establish yourself, if you haven't got off to the best start in comedy, which I didn't, you know, it was always fine, but I didn't come close to winning any competitions I sort of I didn't oh, yeah, even right. did you enter did you uh... I did I did all of them I did many of them anyway I didn't do that many but I never did I got to the final of the Beat the Frog World Series and another northeast regional one okay where there were basically seven people entered and four people got to the final okay and that was it and so I didn't have that and then you know I, I, I guess yeah I, I always. You know, it's it's when you're trying to establish yourself, you don't have that sort of start. There maybe aren't any agents sure. sniffing about. You know, it, it's that thing where it, you know the career is really long, but it doesn't feel like it's long. And also, I would say at the point, at, you know, my mid twenties, sort of early to mid twenties, I would say I've made some severely, I'd say some severe strategic errors in my personal life, uh, and it was just a lot. Can you tell me roughly what you're talking about, and not without um, without wanting to probe too much? What sort of thing do you mean? I, don't, I mean, I was, I was. No, I mean there was nothing bad. It was just I was in a, I was in a bad relationship, and I didn't have any money, and I was right. And I'd, I'd sort of not done that well at uni, and okay, and just little things that I thought, you know, you have ideas of what your life will be, and sort of most of them were sort of a bit off. Okay, but I, you know, I had stand up, and I had that outlet, and I did put a lot of care and time into trying I, 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 you know, I really wanted to go I'm going to connect with people and I'm going to show them how I feel and uh, you know I, I guess it was pretty it was pretty angry but um, that's it's okay I am less angry now though 
the your kind of origin as a comic as you depict or your origin as a person your school days when you talk about on stage and the kind of the teachers the kind of catholic school upbringing and mm. the school reports that you read from like how much of that was kind of word for word true and how much of like the reports that you read out did you embellish any of that stuff or was it like that's a true artifact and this is I think I think every single school report was true okay I really... I'm pleased to hear that because they were... I mean, not, not, not for your life, you know, but... <laughs> no, no, wait, actually, I've just remembered there's one, well, there's the, one of the big jokes is one of them's in Spanish and it's that. Oh, yeah, that's not true. No, 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 that's a very good <laughs> but, joke, though, yeah. But the rest yeah. of them... <laughs> Diablo Blanco, yeah. that one, yeah. M- muy loco. <laughs> yeah. But um, the rest of them were all true because I found them. My mum kept them all. I don't know why, but I, I really, really got off to a very bad start in terms of my relationship with my teachers in school. And it never really, um, it never settled down. <laughs> and I wasn't, a, I don't think I was a bad kid. I was just very, very chatty and full of energy. Okay. I certainly wasn't violent or, you know, I didn't skip lessons or stuff. Do you think they assumed you were angry because you were tall? Like that thing that you were coming back to, if you were animated and tall, do you think it came across as kind of threatening in a way that... Well, I'd rather... I don't think we should make this entire podcast about how I'm too tall because I do a podcast with uh, Johnny Pelham where... Every episode is basically him making fun of me for being too tall. I'm so sorry, I didn't <laughs> No, it's fine. Um, it probably doesn't help. I mean, I probably got in more trouble than a few of my friends because I stood out more. visible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. I just... I think it was probably just bad luck. It was the wrong form teachers. My, like my form tutor, we all had, like, you know, tutors, and then you go off to your... It was just... It was a state school. It wasn't like it was that yeah. alien from what most people have. But my form tutor, the class tutor, was an ex-nun, a very conservative ex-nun who had just got out of the convent, and I think this was her first or second year teaching. Okay. And so to most teachers, I was probably a pain in the ass, and but nothing serious. Uh, but to someone like that, I was uh, probably somewhat of a devil child. Yeah, okay. Um, so it was maybe blown out of a, a proportion a bit, the review. And, and looking back on it, I do think those school reports are really I found them so funny because I thought well the work's good isn't it like I'm not <laughs> I don't know I guess I yeah uh, I haven't I, thought about that routine in a long time actually I suppose what I'm trying to get at is um, is the extent to which it's a reflection of a really tough childhood and the extent to which it was a sort of an angry young stand up finding things to be angry about I think it was probably more the latter I mean I don't view my childhood as tough at all it was very nice and normal Um, I mean very routine uh, in the sort of best sense and to be honest I mean I didn't like school but I had friends I enjoyed the social side I just hated being at school and I hated the teachers and I thought it was I, I mean so that was that bit's definitely true. Yeah, okay. okay. Um, and I guess when you're an adult and you can look back on those things, it's it's easier to to find the jokes in them. I think at the time yes. my parents probably struggled a bit, but well, it's uh, it, I mean it's it's similar to what you were saying before about like you know that a comedy career is a marathon, not a sprint. But at the time, if you don't feel you've got off the blocks, you're just like, is there going to be a marathon? Is it yeah, going to yeah. continue? Is it going to? Yeah, I sort of I, I definitely don't think about I I, rem- I remember being at school and being desperate to get out of there I was just like I can't wait till we're not in school anymore and I think some I think that that's a big thing because some people I think never 
ever like the feeling of not being in school. I think people struggle with it, whereas I just couldn't wait. Because I had all this, I, I did have a lot of energy and I was always trying to be creative at school. Like I did drama and English and I loved writing and I loved doing stuff. And I thought, well, when I'm, when I'm not in this school and in this uniform, that's what I'll be able to do. Yeah. And then I started doing stand-up comedy and turns out it's not creative at all. You're just, <laughs> you're just telling various fingering jokes to strangers. But. <laughs> But it's a living, you know. <laughs> so this is Sean. Tremendous fun talking to Sean. And um, he is that brilliant combination of very sort of self-reflective, very, very talented. I cannot wait for you to... This This is um, this is one of those episodes where I passed the log to Moz, our new ComCom logger, and uh, Moz sent it back in double quick time and pointed out that, wow, I'd never heard of Sean before this, and now i just watched loads of his stuff. So if that is the effect it's having within the organisation here at um, ComCom... It's not Towers, really, is it? It's a ComCom basement at the moment. Um, then uh, I hope you have the same reaction. Remember, Sean's show is on at the Edinburgh Festival um, uh, at the Pleasance Beneath at 7.55. You can get tickets not on an app uh, because the uh, Fringe organisation, in their infinite wisdom, decided not to use the app that everybody expected them to use. I'm choosing my words carefully in case some legal action happens. Uh, it won't be from me because I'm only there from the 4th to the 11th, so I've got a smaller horse in the race this time. Um, but you can see A Shared Illusion, which is my work-in-progress show, at the Monkey Barrel at 1.25 daily between the 4th and the 11th. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com to get tickets for that. Um, and also there is an alternative, an alternative to the non-existent app, so I don't know if that makes it an alternative or not, but you can go to planmyfringe.co.uk. Uh, there's an Edinburgh Fringe scheduler. You can't buy tickets from within it but you can find out what's now and next so have a look at that also at plan my fringe on twitter and i believe some of the free fringe organizations uh, also have their own apps so look out for those if you're a fan of apps it is going to be tricky do you remember last edinburgh i mean many of you weren't there but i was and i remember the weirdest thing was not having one central database of what was on next because there was no fringe organization or, or you know it was different at that time there was certainly no app last year and i really keenly felt the loss of an app um because you would come out of a show and go well what do i do do i individually check the websites of sort of 15 different organizations to find out what's on next so if there is nothing else then plan my fringe will have to do and um, i'm indebted to those of you who sent me your variously data scraped uh, uh websites and excel sorry data scraped from websites excel spreadsheets um which uh uh, have given me already a huge case of the panics going out to Edinburgh thinking, oh, really, I've, I'm only there for, what, eight days this time and I've got to see 60 shows, so I don't know how I'm going to do that. But enough, enough about that. You can go to uh, comedianscomedian.com slash insiders to get hold of ad-free episodes and all the extra content from every show that has it, including, in this case, 25 minutes of extra content, um, including Sean McLaughlin's reaction to sharing a name with one of the most famous people on the internet. That's very funny. Uh, and also, you can hear his advice on being a tour support when you're, uh, as, as he has done loads and loads of work, um, doing tour support for huge names in huge venues. And uh, if you've got any of that coming up or aspire to it, then that might be of interest to you. So that's all in the Insiders Club. Um, and uh, that's all I have to say for now. Let's get back to Sean McLaughlin. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. How long did it take for it? Well, what was... What was the the bridge in between school and stand up like? What, what, how old were you when you started stand up, and what were the conditions? I would have been. I was. I was pretty young. I was at uni. I went to uni, and I was. I, I was desperate to just do stuff and be something. Um, you know, classic Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> I'm going to go out there. I'm going to be somebody. Um, and that it turns out the person I wanted to be was a sad open mic comedian. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I just did I did a few open mics at uni, really enjoyed it, and it just sort of snowballed. I remember in third year of university, uh, no, actually early on it was Chris Martin was mm-hmm. in was the only other un- it was at Newcastle University. Chris Martin, the brilliant comedian, mm-hmm. now in LA mm-hmm. uh, and in Coldplay. Um, <laughs> I remember him saying to me, I think he, because he ran a gig in the, in the uni and I used to do it occasionally. And he said, do you ever do gigs outside of Newcastle? I went, oh, not, not really. I'd like to, but I didn't really know how. Yeah. And he sort of said, yeah, you should. And so I started doing more I in my love, third year. I love those first contact moments when yeah. you're an intelligent descends and goes, you realise there's a whole world out there. And you, yeah. Oh, fuck, what? I think I knew there was a whole world, but I also, I was having a lot of fun at uni as well. So it was sort of, and maybe I started too young in the sense that I was sort of immediately trying to balance these two. I want to have a very active social life, be at university and try and be a comedian. But um, yeah, it was, uh, let's put it this way. I started doing stand up when Tony Blair was prime minister. And that is a very weird thing for a, that's where, yeah, it doesn't feel, it feels weird saying that, but yeah. Because? It was just so long ago. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So long ago. But it was, you know, I really, um, um, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd do it again. I think it was, I think it was, it's, it's worked out okay. <laughs> <laughs> Something is, something's quite interesting, I think, about you and the, what I've known from you. And we've never done, I don't think we've ever done like a long car journey together on the circuit or anything like that. We've sort of, you know, we've sort of seen each other. And, it's sort of passing ship stuff more yeah, than. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but something I, I suppose my, my apprehension of you is that. Your apprehension? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, the way I apprehend you, the way I kind of get you without necessarily oh, knowing the details. I thought you meant yeah. like oh no, I'm the not apprehensive. No, 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 no. The thing that I've taken immediate dislike to, Sean, <laughs> well, it's, is your it's, height. It's, it's it's partly that. It's partly the 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 sort of the quite fun friction between the ferocity on stage, mm. the passion on stage, and the fact that off stage you've always seemed quite sort of like you'd be happy to blend into the background, and you're very mm. kind of like. I think for a, for a while, and we can cut this out if you're not happy with it, but I think you used to not make eye contact yeah. with me. Was that a thing? Was that like, I remember you, like I, I'm sure I had a mate at college years ago who said, oh, I've got this condition where I can't make eye contact with people. And I'd be like, what the fuck is that? I don't yeah. you. But I, I found it quite, I found that my uh, uh, interactions with you, I'd always come away going, oh, it's, he seems so awkward because he never wants to look me in the eye. Yeah, well, I, re- I really struggled with it for a very long time and I had to make a conscious effort to start doing it. Um, I, yeah, I, 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 I think it's a weird thing to me as someone who hasn't suffered it and doesn't yeah, really appreciate the... I, mean, uh, I, I don't think I knew what was... I don't think I knew I was doing it. Okay. And I don't think it was... Um, 
I don't know. I, I, I think I basically, I struggle to look people in the eye and think at the same time. <laughs> and now I've sort of developed that skill. But I, it was probably, I was pretty awkward and I was pretty shy and... Yeah, in and many it, ways. Yeah, yeah. It was the, it was the tension between that and who you were on stage. I found really fascinating. Yeah, I I think I yeah I know what you mean. I, I guess um I guess it probably was quite a leap. Um, I'm definitely still different. I'm still different on stage than off stage, and I don't know why. I do feel like the on stage. I guess I used to be when I was on stage. I felt like I could. I could, just, I, you know, I I could let things out that maybe I didn't feel I could in my personal life. Okay. But uh, I've got much more confident. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm better around people. I'm. I think I'm, I'm maintaining all right eye contact. Fantastic eye contact throughout. Not. It's yeah. Let, let the listener know. <laughs> eye contact. <laughs> yeah. No yeah. longer an issue. Sean is under a table and has been the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm maintaining eye contact. <laughs> well, it's one of the. It's it, it's one of those things like. It, it's, it was such an unusual thing that I, I suppose now looking back at it, I kind of, that's why I kind of prefaced bringing it up with, hey, sure, we can sure. cut this. It's because I think, oh, is that like a neurodiversity thing or a, but it's just shyness. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think it's neuro. I mean, if it is, then you have gone without diagnosis. I've basically <laughs> cured it on my own. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think I just felt a bit, I, I was just a bit socially awkward and yeah. I think I felt a lot of, um, you know, I think when you first start out in comedy, especially when you start meeting people, like you were a professional comedian and that's what I wanted to be and loads of others. And I just felt a bit, um, you know, I, I didn't feel like I belonged there a bit. And, you know. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think everyone has that. I felt like the, I was yes. someone's goofy cousin that they brought sure, along. Sure, sure. And probably when I have felt like that, which I certainly have and still yeah, do yeah. in different contexts, I probably cope with it by being a bit giddy and too much out there rather yeah, than yeah, yeah. So, so sort of same, same, same difference, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, was it transformative then to be on stage? Because obviously for people listening to this who aren't comics and who might be shy, mm. the idea of getting on stage and being so vulnerable and being so visible might be anathema to them. You know, Yeah, I mean, it really was. I mean, I, I sort of... I always loved performing and I loved... I guess I liked sort of showing off and impressing people and I always wanted to do it. And I think I was... And, you know, I think certainly I'd started doing comedy when I was probably a bit too young. But also, I don't know if I would have started if I didn't start that young because I was still full of that sort of teenage desire to do stuff. Uh, but because I didn't have that much going on in my life, you know, I didn't really, uh, as I said, I'd made, you know, I'd made a few errors and it, you know, things weren't going the way I wanted. Being on stage, I felt like, I can connect with people like that was how I could you know I didn't feel like I had people I could talk to maybe in my life about my issues as much okay. but it's also harder when you're younger because everyone's just a bit more insecure and people's lives are changing and growing at different rates um, so yeah it was it was I, I, I felt totally I definitely viewed stand-up as like a way to connect with with people that I didn't feel I could in my personal life mm. um that, is, that's that's sorry, go ahead and cut you off. No, no, I'm saying, but like a lot of things, it is better now. But I think back then, that's probably why I seemed even more angry on stage than I probably even felt, because I was sort of I had all, I had a lot of stuff built up and I didn't have anywhere else to turn really. Yes, that's interesting. That's that's I, I suppose I've 
Look, something I've only just really started to inhabit in my own comedy is, only just the last five years, say, is saying things I actually fucking mean. Mm. Do you mean saying things that are important to me? Saying, like, mm. I think one of the big tricks of comedy, and, you know, there's no kind of toolkit because it applies differently to so many different types of people, but... Um, but to actually say what you actually fucking think mm. rather than either A, what you want them to hear, what, what you want them to think you think, or B, sort of avoiding things you actually think and just making them laugh. With like, Oh, this will be funny and this will make them laugh. That's important yeah, yeah. too. But actually going, oh no, comedy is the stuff you should be talking about when they cut the cameras and you go, fucking hell, well, I really think this. And you go, oh, that's the thing. That's yeah. the thing you should say on stage. And I suppose if you do, if any comic feels like they don't have an outlet for their innermost thoughts or they don't have the permission to talk about them all the years mm. to for other people to hear them then actually it's quite a good way to create quite a passionate stand-up comedian is to go you can only talk about it under these circumstances yeah I guess so I mean I sort of I, I, I just really enjoyed it and I liked I guess because I'd always been a, a sort of wannabe artistic guy I sort of thought well this is my self-expression yeah. you know and I and because I didn't I you know I didn't really feel I did have that option elsewhere but also it probably meant that I was a bit of a weird fit for pro gigs for longer than maybe I could have been because it was quite jarring, I think. I think it was maybe... I don't know if it was that jarring, but I definitely... I didn't have as much control over my performance skills and my emotional skills in terms of writing. Okay. Which I think meant that it was a bit... I mean, when it worked, it really, really worked. I think that's what carried me through a lot of years of feeling like it wasn't going anywhere, is when it clicked, being that kind of uh, comedian, I suppose. When it clicked, it clicked so much. Yeah. But then when it didn't, I was like, oh, fuck. I don't, you know. So, it was, yeah, I mean, it's, it's always a learning curve, I suppose. That's, re that's really interesting, because I think there, there are plenty of people doing stand-up for whom... I don't know quite what I'm going to say, but... I know what you mean. That thing of when and I've seen you do it when it clicks and it just you know you're really good. You're a really good comedian. You're really passionate. The premises are all really clean and interesting and like clean in the sense of like lean. I mean, you know, they're yeah, lean yeah, yeah. and interesting. And you do this thing which we will talk about technique in a bit. But you do this thing of like establish the premise, establish it, establish it. Yeah, big yeah. funny unexpected punchline. Next, and oh, it's right. just so fucking watchable. It's great. Thank um, you. Yeah. But so, well, maybe we can get onto that. Well, we'll get to that in just a second. But so when it clicks, it clicks. And then when it doesn't, you're just sort of like roadrunner off the edge of the cliff going, whoa. Yeah, know. early on, definitely. Early on. I mean, it, it, I think certainly... Oh, I'm not accusing you of like sure, still sure. being unreliable. <laughs> no, sure, sure. I mean, as the years went on, I just, you know, eventually you refine it more. I got more comfortable in my own skin. I got more comfortable on stage. Um... And and so that meant me. I was a. I'm a much. I'm like a well-rounded comedian. I think now, in a way that I wasn't back then. But also, I think it meant that when I went out there and I sort of, you know, I was feeling it. And I was like, God, I can't wait to. I just can't wait to for these for this stag do to feel what I'm feeling. <laughs> and then they don't. And I thought, okay, well, I've got this. I basically got one gear. I had one gear for too long, which I think is a problem for a lot of acts. Yes, a hundred percent. That's very, very astute. Yes. And it depends. And that's not. A pro it's natural to have one gear. It's probably healthy to have one gear for a while because it means you're trying something, even if it's failing. 
But then when that one gear is, I'm 100 miles an hour, I'm going I'm to shout at you about all the things I hate about my life, and that doesn't work, I, stop, I would go into the audience a lot. Yeah. Sort of as, as a newer act, I wasn't scared of going into the audience a lot because I sort of, I was up there thinking I, I was so desperate to, to make this work in the moment. And, I, you know, I guess the problem is inexperience means you make a lot of mistakes, particularly with audience interaction. But, um, yeah, I, I, I probably took the, the scenic route in terms of getting that kind of club ready, a level of sort of polish on me. I probably took longer than I needed to, but I feel that about most of my career. Uh, yeah. You took, and, and why is that? You took longer than you needed to because... Um, well, in terms of my career, and I think, I think, I mean, they're linked, aren't they? I think I was, um, well, you know, we sort of said I was, I was, a, I wasn't the most confident person in the world. I was yeah. scared of asking for gigs a lot of Big the time. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I was doing a lot of gigs, but I was kind of doing the same bunch of gigs. Yeah. I was sort of in that netherworld between being a good open mic and a kind of 50 quid semi-pro person for a very long time. Okay. Because of that, and then I, you know, I knew I, I thought if I get an agent, that'll sort me out. Yeah. And then they all saw me and sort of liked it, but none of them were like, none of them none of them said yes certainly yeah. not then um, and so I think that's why it took longer and then yeah. but then you know my life got a bit better things got a bit better I just got better as a comedian and as such it sort of started started figuring itself out I guess what was the first bit that you did that clicked every time well that's a really good question I don't know I mean, I, it's so interesting when I start at, you talk about bankers, don't you? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You talk about bankers. Do you remember that phrase? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, It's a banker. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like... That really reminds me of like Christian Knowles, Boat Show. That's like, yeah, yeah, 2005. Yeah. Get your bankers out, yeah. Get the bankers out. <laughs> and I think that was all anyone ever wanted was a banker. Mm-hmm. It's pre-2008, you know. Actually, I suppose slightly, yeah. slightly post-2008. <laughs> but um, it was... Um, I sort of look back at like the early days. My idea of what a banker was was a joke that worked, sort of six or seven times out of ten. Yeah, I go, that's yeah, a banker. Yeah, <laughs> and then a contextual banker. Yeah, and then now my idea of a banker is uh, terrorists have a gun up to my wife's head and I have yeah. to make them laugh. Yeah. That's a banker. Yeah. So I, it's hard for me to remember. I definitely t- I talked a lot about being skint early on, and I remember that got a reaction in audiences that was sort of consistently good. Yeah, I, you know, I had good jokes about being skin, because um, I was just, you know, trying to be a comedian, working the call centre. So yeah, it was fine. It wasn't, yeah, it was certainly wasn't impoverished. But I just didn't, I didn't have money to go on holiday or do anything. I was just sort of sure. travelling on mega buses around. So I think it was probably that. That was like a, a kind of a calling card, I suppose. Yes, yes, and it's again, it's one of those. What you've keyed into there is, I'm failing. I'm flailing. Yeah, so this yeah. is who you. So this is who you, who you're presenting to the audience is. I'm a disaster. Definitely I fucked this up. Definitely, definitely. And I think, yeah. I mean, that's definitely how I felt. 
yeah. as well, if I'm honest, for a lot of it. So it resonated. <laughs> yeah, so it really, like, we yeah. all looked at it and went, this is a true thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I definitely wasn't a dead behind the eyes, rabid madman. It was, sure. um, yeah. But eating, I remember the line about eating porridge with a key or something, do you know what I mean? Mm. But kind of like that, very fun, florid language yeah. about hating everything and hating Brighton and hating, you know, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. Tra- I'm sort of trapped somewhere. I've trapped mm. myself. It's my fault and I'm failing. Yeah, that, that was, was the sort of foundational premise. There was, yeah. And there was definitely, um, there were definitely people who I think really liked that. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I, was, I was able to get, you know, some okay bookings. And eventually, you know, I did get an agent off the back of that stuff. And, you know, it was, I thought it was, it was okay stuff. It was definitely scrappy. It was definitely rough around the edges. Yeah. Um, But then that's not necessarily bad. I mean, it's not great for telly, but actually mm. rough around the edges is great in a club. Because it feels rich and honest and like a real thing. It doesn't feel shiny and manufactured and a product. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, I'm sure there were gigs I had back then that were better than any gig I could have now <laughs> like I'm sure but I'm also sure there were as many of those that are that were just so it was like an error like like I would be up there going it is a mistake that I'm doing this gig <laughs> what um, kind of uh, uh, let's just kind of get sort of the the to take the, the, the emotive stuff out of it, like sure. how bad were the deaths? How frequent were the deaths? Were you just going around dying all over the place? Or was it just that, was it like a head job you were doing yourself going, it was actually a fine gig, you got away with it, but you come off feeling like hell. That's a thing. It was that, probably that's more, a thing I can imagine you doing. You know? Yeah, it was probably more that. I mean, it's, it's hard to really, it's hard to remember. I'm so different from the person I was back then. And my life, you know, and it was a long time ago, I guess. Um, I th- you know, I think... When I died, I really died. And, and how? And how? But but I didn't die so often. Yeah, it was always going well enough to. It was going well enough to justify me not quitting, and never that well enough to justify anyone thinking, "Well, here's someone we should invest money and time into." Sure. Um, and I, how, you know, I was just sort of. It was a. I think it was such a slow incline. Is that the right phrase? Like the ascent. Mm. Like I, I, I look back now and I think I was getting better and the career and the turning it into a life was happening, but it was happening. It was going up at such a tiny pace that it sort of felt like nothing was happening. Mm. But um, yeah, some of the, some of the deaths were bad. I mean, I remember walking out of a. Uh, there were some gigs I remember walking out of, and the audience were talking about me and they didn't know I was behind them. And I was like, oh fuck, this is not. But there were also times when. I, I, you know, it was like, uh, it was mad. Like it was just what they needed. The stars aligned. Yeah. And that those sort of gigs really carry you through, especially if you've got a bit of self doubt and you're not sure if, if comedy's the right thing. Those just, I mean, the, the highs you feel when back then. I, nothing's better than that. I remember trying to. We all, I think we all have that sensation of like, I wish I could bottle this feeling. I wish I could mm. remember how I feel about myself right now and just put it in a bottle and just drink a little bit every so often and go yeah, yeah, yeah. oh that this self yeah, yes yeah, yeah, the yeah. superhero self yeah yeah the I, right guy for the job in the right time with the right and it's I've earned all of it yeah and it's my clever thoughts and my timing and it's mine you know yeah yeah I remember the I, vividly this was like a, a big moment as I was working at a foreign language school uh, in Brighton 
and I was doing a barbecue on a Friday for some foreigners I guess <laughs> who were learning English in the school because uh, I was like the events coordinator so I'd like basically be in charge of making sure none, none of like the Italian teenagers I don't know fell in the Thames or whatever um, and I remember I got a, a message from the Bracknell Comedy Cellar do you remember the, yeah, yeah that fantastic gig still, still, still going brilliant gig one of the best gigs and they said oh they need a middle spot and it's £100 can you do it today and I was like, yeah, I could, I could do it. I could do it. And I remember going there, walking from the station, th- basically through a motorway to the venue. And I think it was the first time I'd ever done a fully pro bill okay. where everyone was doing 20. And I did the middle 20. And it, I, I had a, a recorder on my phone. My phone was like a shitty sub Nokia 3210, but it did have a recorder on it, but it only lasted five minutes. You could not record more than five minutes. <laughs> And I did the gig, and it was, it went so well. Like, I would still probably put it top 10 gigs maybe I've ever had. And I, like, was, I remember just like running back to the station afterwards and listening to that first five minutes of my set again and again and again. And that's the, that's the feeling that you get when you start. And when it, when it starts, when it works. And God, I, I still, you know, I still love stand up. But nothing's better than those early years. I mean, do you agree with that? Yeah, I think nothing, so. Nothing's I, as good now as Now I'm satisfied. And sometimes yeah. I'm wholly satisfied. Yeah, I did yeah, a yeah. wonderful gig. I did a couple of gigs mm. last night. The, the, the last one I did was wonderful. Mm. Weird circumstances. It was for, to date it, if you were there, it was the Sofa So Funny gig. It was just like an incredibly warm onside audience of I'm going to call you fans, and uh, and and but also it's like a fans with whom I have a funny tension whereby they bully me and you know I'm, sure, I'm far sure. off away from it emotionally. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it was just an oddball gig where I was fucking good, and I've got a yeah. lovely warm feeling about that now, and it makes me feel good to remember it. But largely. I don't run around in circles anymore after a good gig. I go, I am wholly satisfied with that. What a, you know, and I don't, yeah, do not yeah, deliberately, yeah. I'm not contriving it, but it's like, I just feel in a mature, you know, professional yeah, comedian's yeah, yeah. way. Yep, good. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's, that's, that's lovely. That's a very satisfying feeling and it feels calm and measured and less like my life is this insane roller coaster that it used to be <laughs> yeah. of absolute self-absorption and God, I'm wonderful to absolute despair at something going wrong and crying in a car park afterwards, you know. Yeah, that's it. Like I've it? been on those tracks, not, not always, but there was definitely elements of my career where, you know, I'm ashen. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I mean, 100%. But, but I definitely... When you see the other side of that sort of insane ebb and flow, I'm really grateful I had that period of my life in a way because I, I really loved it. In a way, I don't know if it's still possible for me to love it as much as that, but I loved it so much. I was so desperate for it. I was too close to it. I mean, that's the bottom line. I was too close to it. Um, and now it's like, oh, I've done a profession. I'm a professional. Yeah. And great, love I it. I did what was expected of me to still, a high standard. Still love great. it. Yeah. Still great feeling. The, you know, when you, when, you, when you have a new bit and you get it working. You That's go, always brilliant. the best bit, isn't it? Brilliant. I talk about that constantly. Yeah, the yeah, bit, yeah. You're having a new idea or you say a third thing. You yeah, improvise yeah, yeah. a third thing on a tag or something and you go, oh, and yeah, you just yeah, touch yeah. the magic thing. And I guess it's, I don't know if it's, uh, I guess it's pretty rose tinted. I guess you're allowed to romanticize your own past if you want. But I sort of had that feeling all the way through, even my first couple Edinburghs, 
because I really genuinely felt like for a lot of it I was like this is not going to happen this is just not going to happen I'm I'm not suited to this life I'm not suited to this industry but the highs I, I focus on the highs more than the lows now which is probably healthier <laughs> it's probably better yeah I can't remember which show it is yes I can it must be from I Will Prevail you talk about husks you husks. talk about other comedians being husks. Not all other comedians, but certain other comedians <laughs> being, being husks in a dressing room. People who are bitter, who are banging on about bitterness oh, and the things yes. that didn't work out for them. Yes, I remember that. Because a lot of that show was about how I think I need to quit comedy. Yes. Is that right? Yes. I remember Yeah, that. you were talking about your relationship. Your partner was in the comedy industry. Yeah, And yeah, yeah. there's a lot of stuff about... I don't know what I'm doing and why yeah, and, yeah. and ways in which when I ever write jokes about or if I am kind of trying to express something about my place in comedy or my uh, my ideas about my own career or anything like that I, I, I always I worry that it's like it's too inside baseball or it's too do you know what I mean it's too self-absorbed of course you've got to, you've got to sort of you've got to try and phrase it in a way or wear, make it wear clothes where it's about ambition that everyone can relate to and stuff but yeah. equally sometimes I just really like hearing a comedian talk about what it's like being a comedian there it's all allowed isn't it well yeah and I guess that was I did that a lot in my early years and I always made you know I always thought I, I always thought it wasn't too inside baseball it probably was maybe but you know the thing is I think People are people in general are interested in show business. I don't. I mean, that's kind of how I I'd love to think that you always pronounce it like that. Show business. <laughs> show business. <laughs> people are very interested in this business that I call show, <laughs> and other people call it that. Too. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I guess I did. Well, I just, I guess I was at that stage in my life. Where I was like, fuck it. <laughs> it's just. Um, because you, and I think that's another frustrating thing maybe at that time you meet comedians who just hate being comedians yeah. you go well what yeah and then you become one of them and you go alright oh, now I get it <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about your um, let's talk about some of your jokes because you've got such good jokes you've got such a turn of phrase and you've got such a good like it just feels like a joke ready imagination do you know what I mean? Um, so, do you feel that? Do you feel you had kind of a natural predilection? Was the word I was looking for? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you feel that you had a natural predilection for um, for thinking in funny ways, or is it something that you kind of taught yourself to use funny ideas in the pursuit of saying what you wanted to say? Um, well, I was always, uh, I always loved comedy and I was always trying to make funny things and write funny things. What comedy did you love? As a kid? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think, um, I think when The Simpsons started showing on the BBC, that was probably the biggest moment of my life. Yeah. I, I remember, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't really believe that I was laughing at something and my mum was laughing at it. And so I, The Simpsons oh, was my nice. favourite. That ruined my mate Hutch's life because he had Sky, so everyone thought he was really witty, and then suddenly we realised he'd been <laughs> cribbing it all off the Simpsons. <laughs> you don't work at a power plant at all. Yeah. Um, uh, and I loved like comic strips. 
I yeah. read like a I loved Garfield. Oh yeah. Oh um, comics. I thought you meant the comic strip, like the the, the things like that dates. Oh no no no. I meant ago. like a, yeah. like newspaper comic yeah. strips. And actually, that was something I really wanted to do for a while. And I used to try and draw them. So oh, in a way, yeah. those were kind of. In a way, that's probably sort of self uh, subconsciously harnessed a sort of joke craft. Yes. Okay. Before that, three panels. Three panels. We've never talked about that on the podcast. Set up. Establishing, you know, yeah. punchline. Um, yeah, that was a, that I, was. It's only just to get, have you ever seen Garfield without Garfield? Yeah, God, it's I love absolutely it. Absolutely brilliant. Of course, you love it. It's, it's brilliant. Very you. It's so um, funny. It's just occurred to me you could do the same thing with a stand-up. You could edit. Can someone get on that? Can someone get a huge burr routine and ed- just leave in the premises and then the punchlines? <laughs> it would look so mad. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, tangent. No, 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 I agree. Um, so I guess there was that, but then you know you do stand up and um, and you just have to figure out how to do it and how it works for you and stuff like that. And it becomes a sort of holistic thing of your joke writing and who you are. And sometimes they don't match up, and you have to make them match up. Uh, so I guess it, I, I sort of learned. I, I definitely learned on the job. Um, I feel like I, I loved comedy and was trying. So I guess maybe I. I was always trying to do it, but um, it's not like I uh, rushed out the gates when I started stand up. So. <laughs> were you? Were you like? How dense was your kind of writing? Like, just from a joke from "I Will Prevail," you talk about um, someone asking you, "Are you renting or buying?" And your punchline of that is, "I'm more likely to win the Grand National as a horse than get a mortgage." And that the as a horseness is just one of those lovely yeah, kind yeah. of whoop, like there's like there's the joke, and then it's not even a topper; it's just the most functional component of the joke is a skying off to the left yeah. idea, like in. in and you're really good at those. You're really good at like, like a like a really a super abrupt kind of punch in like a ninety degree turn. Oh, that's nice. I guess so. I think I obviously I think that's one of the reasons I enjoy your stuff because as a, as comics we know we often mm. know what's coming. And I with you I don't know what's coming, and I love that because it's 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 not so obtuse it's not surreal and the audience can't follow it it's just that if you can make the comics laugh as well rather than instead of then yeah. you're probably you've got a good game in terms of surprise like the, the right thing that's surprising in the right way oh that's nice to hear I mean I, I think um, I, I think one thing about me that maybe help, hopefully stopped me being just another ranty angry comedian is I'm very silly and I love silly things yeah and so like The Simpsons is really smart and it's really dumb and like I love um, 30 Rock it's probably my favourite sitcom and I think I I, I love those sort of jokes and I think (laughs) it's better it's almost funnier when someone is really passionate and and doing those sort of things yeah um like what's the starting point for a stand up if you think of like your newest bit and I realise you're just on tour at the moment Mm. But your newest idea for a bit that isn't quite a bit yet. Yeah. Like, what do you do with it? What are the tools with which you try and... Um, usually, um, I walk around my house talking to myself a lot. I'll just talk to myself a lot. I love it. So few people admit that. Yeah, I do it. And I Rod pretend- Gilbert laughed at me for asking that. And then it turns out he goes on long, walk- long walks and turns out... <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> but no, I do that. I sort of... I. I- I just sort of talk to myself and and pretend I'm on stage and try and it's weirdly find the useful, angle in. isn't it? 
it's I find it yeah. like I don't do I feel like I don't do that as much as I should whenever I I don't do it as much as I used to and whenever I do I think well this is obviously the best technique for me so why, why am I wasting my time totally. going to a coffee going to a coffee shop with a laptop pretending I'm a sex in the city girl when I'm not <laughs> I'm a man who sits with the curtains shut in, at home rambling to himself but um it just that doesn't feel like a day's work does it but it's the most if it produces the results then it's the day's work I find it interesting I feel I feel sometimes if I if I hit something if I get excited about one thing I say you never get that moment of being on stage off stage the adrenaline that makes you think better but I get a kind of maybe substitute sometimes and it and it's sort of other ideas carry on after that first one it's, I guess it's about sort of trying to build up even a tiny smidgen of adrenaline or sort of that, that yeah. whatever that spark is but in do a, the canter yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in a kind of controlled environment and then I you know I sit down I try not to I don't write on my laptop much anymore because I get distracted but I write it out in my, in my notepads you know I'll rehearse it a lot and then I'll go on stage and I'll say it totally different because yeah. I've, I, I realise or in the moment I think, I think I've got the wrong wording. And, and then it I, just and then I, itself because they're there and it's magic. Yeah. Or, yeah. I mean, really, it's so inconsistent. Sometimes it's perfect first time exactly as I wrote it and sometimes it takes a million tries and sometimes it's obvious what the solution is. And a lot of time there is no solution straight in the bin. But that's how I... Tell, I me, about, tell me about the rehearsal. When you say you rehearse it, do you mean you kind of practice, like you, you word the joke and then you change the walking around in a darkened room from being a creative thing to being a rehearsal thing? So you just say it loads of times? I guess it's not, I mean, calling it rehearsal maybe isn't the right phrase. I guess it's getting, I want to get comfortable with the idea of saying it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I, you know, even if it's just a couple times, but I'm much better now at living in, I don't do that as much as I used to. I, th- I think because I'm maybe naturally better on stage than I used mm. to be, I can write stuff on the train or the tube to the gig. That magic hour before the show, when it really matters. Enough, not, I mean, that, that's the thing, isn't it? I'm worried about, you know, I'm not worried about Edinburgh, I think it will be okay. But I'm sort of at that moment where I'm going, seven weeks till the, uh, you know, as of recording, it's seven weeks till the fringe, and I, you know, the sh- it's good. You know, I think at least there's a, yeah, there's loads of good jokes in it, but I know there's a few more gears to go through. But I guess it's, it's an experience thing now where I go, the closer it gets, the more I panic and the better I work. I mean, yes. that's, it's just... How that. lovely to be experienced enough to realise that that's the case. I remember I had a very clear memory of doing my first Edinburgh show, realising I had to write another one, you know, that mm. like the second show thing, and going, oh God, and having the thought... Oh no, I've given myself homework forever. Yeah, yeah. Like you always, you can never, I've probably said this on the show before in the very early days of it, that feeling like you could always, you could be, you could be stranded on a desert island or on a, a you know, a, a bus teetering on the end of the You could always be thinking about jokes. Yeah, yeah. The material's all there in your head. The tools are all there, so yeah. you're, never, you're never allowed to break from it. And actually, a much more mature way of thinking about that is, no, no, when it gets near to go time, I'll suddenly become better at it, and I'll do it then, that's to not, an extent. That's not to say I don't bang my head against the wall on a weekly basis, frustrated that I can't write anything. I mean, I certainly, because, because I had a little bit of an early deadline with the, a few tour shows pre-Edinburgh, which I'd never had, I was, like, I was, a, I was in sort of pre-Edinburgh mode in February, yeah, I was stressed out and I was worrying a lot. Um, 
and I was you know tr- throwing loads of mud at the wall at gigs and seeing what stuck. Uh, and I'll be there again in in four weeks. I'll be exactly there. I know it. I'll, but at least I'm used to the feeling more. When you say you'll be exactly there, like it'll be finished and ready and you're ready. No, no, I mean, I'll no. be exactly there emotionally as I was yeah, in the same before place. every yeah. other event at Edinburgh. <laughs> but, you know, with, a, I think, a little, a little bit more experience, a little bit more craft, which makes it a little bit less frantic and painful. But my heart always goes out to people. I, I just, whenever people are stressed about Edinburgh, I just go, yeah, it's, it is really hard. It'd be weird for it not to be hard. When you're in writing mode or stomping around or pre-gig mode, mm. what are the worries that you encounter? Like one of you mentioned your seventh hour. One, I'm, I think I've done ten yeah. before every single one of them. At the beginning of the process, I've thought I've got nothing left. Yeah. So that's one of my repeated. That's one of my core beliefs. Sure. I've got nothing left. Yeah. And yeah, I know yeah. that's not true logically. It's nonsense. But mm. I feel it every time. What sorts of equivalents of that do you have to overcome, if any? Well, that I mean, I. It just, I just, I just want it to be really good. I just really, I really, I just want to put on the best show I can, and and that's it. And I feel, I, I feel like I let people. I, let, I don't want to let my audience down. These people have come out, especially if they already know me. You know, I want to just, I want it to be better than the last one, or at least as good. Um, it's a good show title. At least as good as the last as good, one. <laughs> it's at least as good as the last one. It's actually, hey, yeah, why not? Have That's they it. always been better? Has there always? Have you managed to maintain an upward trajectory? If you look back at your last seven shows, do you feel like oh, that was the blip year? Um, I don't know. I would say they've all. I think they've all been good. I think some of them. Twenty fifteen show that you saw in the attic. I look. That's the one I look back on and think my lack of skill as a performer let me down because okay. actually I thought that was a very I thought there was a lot of good stuff there I thought it was it was the only time I've done a show that I thought was beyond my skills yeah um, and actually if I'd shown a bit more restraint and a, if I if I just had a bit more about myself as a performer I probably but even then it was it did fine I mean it was all you know in Edinburgh they were always steady um, you know I've, I've had good Edinburgh's uh, no, I mean, I've had a... I don't know. I mean, I'm not happy with any of them. It's not like I look at them and go, they were all perfect. But but, but are you... You're not happy with any of them? Are you, surely no, you're happy. Like, I'm happy with... No, I'm happy with, I'm happy with a few of them. Yeah. But it's not like I look at every one and just go, well, these are all pristine, perfect, pre- precision sure, engineer sure, sure. shows. Yeah. They all have flaws, and I'm aware of the flaws. What sorts of flaws do you find yourself noticing in your work not necessarily in your Edinburgh shows but what are your flaws what things do you have to routinely overcome um well doing new stuff swearing a lot swearing too much through nerves got to nip that in the bud yeah true um because swearing is really funny mm-hmm. in the right place and so not swearing when it's not the right place ruins that yeah uh I've got a really good punchline that's for fuck's sake at the moment and I'm trying to change it to for Christ's sake and it's just not as funny but I have to. It's hard, isn't it? I've got what I've got a bit where the swearing isn't even part of the th- it's not even that. I say that I say the word broom and it works. If I say fucking broom <laughs> it it flies. 
So that's one I go, well, that one has to be a swear. Okay. And so I've cut out a few You've of the others. You've got one from previous, yeah. That's a lot. I mean, just in general, just... Um, just forgetting why I'm up there sometimes I think doing this is all in terms of doing new stuff in terms of finished honed stuff um well I always just think there's probably a couple routines in all the shows that aren't as good as the others and I could have just lost them and brought in better just just having stuff that could be better that, that awful thing in October when you do a long set and you do 40 you do that comedy box or something, it's 45, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you just do the best bits of your Edinburgh show, and you go, oh, God, I wish I'd done this, and then written another 15 minutes. Like, do you mean, like, yeah, do, you, do, yeah. do you find yourself doing that? I, I, I have observed this of myself many times. A hundred percent. I'm inflating it to get to an hour, and it does work, and it is an hour, but if I only had to do mm. 45 minutes, it would be better. Well, I've done, on the tour so far... And this is sort of, I agree with you, but I'm having an even greater crisis with it. <laughs> Not crisis, but I've done an hour and a half every on the tour show. First tour show, I did an hour and 40. Mm-hmm. And they've been, certainly the Manchester date was probably the best solo show I've ever done. Um, and I thought, what, at the point, I suppose the logic was, but by then, there'll be no reason to preview for Edinburgh because you'll have an hour and a half and you'll just cut that down. Oh, yeah. But the problem is, I don't think it's I still think there's 40 <laughs> I think a lot of it is really good and fine yeah. but there's still more stuff for me to write so I'm cutting it down and adding to it at the same time yeah that's hard I, that's, the, that's one of the points at which my writing risks spiralling out of control when I've got too much to work on in one go like I've got all of this this mm. is the bones of a show but what I need to do now is a series of precise jobs where I fix that bit fix that yep. bit drill into that bit yep. get rid of that bit but instead I just look at the whole thing and then end up tweaking a bit that I like tweaking that's exactly, <laughs> where I, that's exactly how I feel and I think I'm probably I mean it's it's, it's the show as it stands I mean it's, it's good it's, the, the solo shows I've done have been really fun it's probably not going to change anyone's life, but it's not going to ruin anyone's night. But, uh, so, I, I, you know, I, I try and keep that in mind, and I've got plenty of time to work on it, but I, that it is a frustration. Uh, it's just, it's just, it just never, it, it gets a bit easier, but it doesn't get that much easier, this, mm-hmm. I suppose, in my mm-hmm. experience, anyway. What's, a, what's an example of a thing, a thought you've had, or a joke that you cannot make work? Have you got anything that readily to, to mind? Which I is have like got a, I've got a huge chunk that was going to be in the show that I can't, that I haven't put in, and and the only way I can make it work is by explaining I've never been able to make this work. Ah, but the problem yes. is the I, the idea is uh, 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 I actually think now the idea is too. I don't view it as objectionable or offensive, but that's how it's always going to be taken, and so I don't even bother. Uh, it was one that let's put it this way if there was no pandemic it would have gone in this show gotcha okay because I was doing it a lot and I knew I know there's something there and the fact of the pandemic has changed how people react to it um well uh, uh, like it's very hard to do jokes about old people dying now without it having a different (laughs) 100% it's very hard to do uh, yeah, all my uh, bat-eating gear is, is, is unfortunately been thrown to the curb. It was, I mean, I had a big uh, chunk about sort of a financial, about the 2008 financial crisis about, and I, I mean, this is sort of the topic, was like, we don't really talk about it anymore, even though it's probably the biggest thing that ever happened to us, and now it isn't. Yeah. You know, now we've got an equivalent financial crisis on top of a health crisis. Um, but in terms of other stuff... I mean, I, 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 so many ideas. 
still, I mean, I'd say my hit rate now, in terms of what works, in terms of what I think of, is probably... God, 50%, that seems high. Mm. But I'm still, I, I mean, killing my darlings on a weekly basis. To, I mean, you listeners might hope they understand that's a writing <laughs> phrase. But yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's trial, it's all trial and error, trial and improvement still. I write a load of jokes, some of them work, some of them don't. And then I cut the ones that don't, and I write more that work. Harvest, you know? It's like I'm like a farmer. <laughs> Tell me about your podcast briefly. Which, all I know about your podcast with Johnny Pellin uh, is that you read each other self-help books. Is that the brief yeah, to yeah, do yeah, that? Because, yeah. oh, this concept I wish I'd fucking thought of. Someone told me about that. I was furious. I was like, oh, God, that's a oh, good one. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. that's nice. Um, well, I mean, you'd be pleased to know that we've absolutely knocked on the yeah. premise justice. <laughs> I do a podcast with Johnny Pellin. Um, one of the best, most underrated comedians on earth. He's fantastic. And one of, unfortunately, the biggest idiots on earth. <laughs> um, but Johnny's sort of, we've always been good friends and we sort of kindred spirits in a way. Not really, but in a little way. <laughs> I should not say that. I should not say that. But um, yeah, we, he's really into self-help stuff. Mm. Uh, and so we're very similar types of personality like we sort of catastrophize and sort of, we always talk about how we're losers and we laugh a lot whenever we meet up. but he's really into self-help whereas I'm not in the slightest and so we sort of did a, doing a podcast about self-help and each week we sort of cover a different angle of it or sometimes we get guests in and um, try and then try to teach us and make us better but it's you know it's like a lot of those Podcasts where it's just it's sort of an excuse to hang us trying to be yeah. funny and stuff. Yeah, but yeah. but actually we did we did a two part episode about Paul McKenna with confidence that was really all we talked about was the was the stuff. And then we did a hypnosis CD together. Yeah. In the second half. And I really did feel something. Ah. And it was the only time. And unfortunately Johnny felt nothing until I was the, the joke of the episode. But um, <laughs> I'm sort of I think uh, I mean, are you a self-help person? Have you subscribed uh, to it? Yes. Maybe less so than I have been now, just because I think I've, I've put a lot of it in practice and it's helped. Mm. So I don't spend so much time with it. But I like the idea of it. I mean, this podcast is arguably, it has a sort of self-help component. I'm really fascinated with, it's, you know, it started off how do you write your jokes and now it's how do you cope with the challenges of a creative life. Of course. And so I'm really interested in like, what do, you, what do you say to yourself in this particular instance? When it goes badly, what does that feel like? What do you say to yourself? Like yeah. I've already asked you, you know, what worries would you have when you write new stuff? So I'm really interested in solutions to those things. And a lot of them I use and I've used them and put them in my life so much that they're not those problems aren't really problems anymore yeah I guess well, that, having said that there are still big anxieties I have which I can I just can't shake off that affect my life that are just I understand it I've looked at it from all angles still feel it ah fuck well I mean we're, we're emotional creatures and that and you that, and I particularly well, I think we probably both are we're probably yeah, more we probably at that are. end we're probably more on that end I don't mind that like I don't mind that and I am you know I'm sensitive and I'm all those things um, but it's funny talking about the creative life because me and Johnny sort of talk about that sometimes. And it's whenever I listen to this podcast, which I don't listen to all the time now because I'm trying to not have comedy in my life. Yeah. But that's the bit I... I it gets... That's when it gets weird, this job, because I think it's... I've got a wife. 
I have a nice I have a really nice life um, I'll pre-answer by saying I am very happy I'll sort of pre-answer <laughs> nice you nice move no one's ever done that I'm very <laughs> very happy um, I really feel I, I sort of can't believe my luck and at some point it will change and you know my wife's from another country and things are you know who knows where life's going and ultimately doing this job I think there does reach a point maybe for a lot of people if you want to keep everything in your life going you've got family you know I've got I haven't got a family but I've got friends a lot of my friends aren't in comedy you know I've got a big I come from a big family um, and my you know I go see my wife in Canada her family and we want to travel and the stuff we want to do and be, you know being a comedian is is a perfect conduit for that in many ways until it stops being that and then you deal with it and there's no answer the answer is become really rich and successful and do it on your own terms but that's not an option for most of us mm. uh, so it's interesting um, but I guess that's I mean in a way that's you almost need to have another podcast that's just about that isn't it like we've covered the on stage now we need to cover the off stage the off stage how do you mean oh, what's, what, yeah. oh off, off stage you sort of, yeah 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 so sure. you, 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 obviously you sort of I think like this conversation we've got in between mm. what, you know, my on stage and my off stage but um, sort of increasingly my off stage life is sort of more I mean, I certainly care so much more about that than I do about comedy. It's not to say I don't care about... I care about comedy as much as I did. It's just I now have other stuff I also really care about. So it's interesting. That's great. And I think you're a great advert for therapy, right? Was it the therapy that helped with this or other stuff? Like, we've given that it was, what, 10 years ago, 8 years ago? Well, um, I was on antidepressants for many years after that. Okay. And I... The, my, the thing is with my therapy is he was a trainee and then the, <laughs> I have talked about this in the podcast with Johnny. My last session, he basically told me he was in love with me and sexually attracted to me so it sort of did oh. undermine it a bit but um <laughs> oh dear I'm so sorry that uh, that incredibly unprofessional thing well he wasn't a professional yeah so I guess you okay. can't even but no I mean it's it, open mic therapist I think yeah, it was, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> of a bucket speech Jesus that. Um, let's just underline for the sake of the listener that absolutely shouldn't ever happen well it's probably and that's an enormous betrayal of your trust and incredibly unprofessional it took me about five years to realise that was a problem because I had no confidence I was like oh I guess that's just the way adults are <laughs> telling people they love each other fair enough <laughs> um, I guess I'm an advert for I mean, I think I'm just an advert for just keeping going and but it was really just taking control. Like, eventually, even a even a weaselly, you know, wet dog like me was able to, to get better people in my life, get rid of people that weren't as good. Well, that's it. That's, that's what I mean. And You've that's done just, the right things. So, well, so far. So far. We'll see. Who knows? Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe I'll have a bad review first day of Edinburgh and I'll just be sniffing glue under a under a bridge but we'll see
So that was Sean. Great having Sean on the on the show. One of those people. And there are still many. I can't believe I've done 400 and something episodes over 10 years. And there are still people who I get to and think, Christ, why haven't I done them before? So you'll be pleased to know that the Comedians Comedian podcast will continue in perpetuity until I die. And I really must get round to recording some sort of mawkishly sentimental <laughs> message <laughs> to be listened to you, to be put out on the feed by Nathan in the event of my demise. Why would I even mention that? Why would... What's... I mean, that's a passing thought. It's not even a tweet. Certainly don't start announcing my impending demise. I've heard nothing. There's no... That's not on the basis of anything. I've heard nothing. What's that? Is that from um, from the first Hot Shots movie? Like, how are you, Captain? Why? What have you heard? Uh, anyway, so that was Sean. You can see him, as I mentioned before, at The Pleasance Beneath at 7.55. Don't miss that show. It's going to be brilliant. He is brilliant. Find his stuff. Find Hail Mary online or everything else at seanmclaughlincomedy.com. Go to the Insiders Club for all the extra bits. They are particularly fascinating this time. And next week, oh, I can't tell you now because we're at the end of um, we're at the end of the ones that are in the can. I've got two very very exciting guests coming up soon, and I have been privileged to listen to both of their previews for this um, for this coming festival. They're both going to be great. I will get them out to you as soon as I can. And for now, that does us. I, I'll have a brief post amble at you in just a second. But first, let's thank Nathan Wood for pod. Uh, for podcasting let's just thank nathan wood for podcasting uh let's thank moz for logging uh and also embarking on his own stand-up journey which i don't know whether or not i'm allowed to tell you so keep that to yourself um also uh thank you to rob smouton for the music podcast consultant peter dobbing and uh brett goldstein just for that tremendous jawline hey eh? Uh, thank you and goodbye from me stuartgoldsmith.com for links to Edinburgh and also comedianscomedian.com for all the other stuff although I'm thinking of breaking the website now to see if it has an effect and replacing it with something on Wix using a, an app called ElfSite which I put in my diary and it looks like my wife shares my diary and it looks like a coded message it looks like an easily breakable coded message for me sneaking in some extra D&D time but it isn't, it's an app alright darling So there we go. It's all about the app at the minute. The um, the this postamble will be about apps. Here's some of the things that are being said in the Facebook group because this I think this is fascinating. Obviously, we find out there isn't an app. Everyone feels cheated. The uh, the Live Comedy Association is activated, and a staggering number of signatories get in touch within 24 hours. When you sign it, you see all the people that are signing. You're like, holy shit! This is like a this this is why the LCA exists, right? This is like a look look at all of these people that are brought to bear on this organisation. And if you don't know much about the Edinburgh Festival, for my in in my opinion, over 28 plus years of going, it seems to me that the uh, fringe organisation exists to facilitate the work of the people who perform the shows in the fringe and uh, there seems to be a sort of an uneasy relationship between those it is facilitating and the way in which it facilitates them you might remember my show prick in 2000 and god i don't know i don't know <laughs> i don't know a long time ago and um, but the title was censored i had to change it to pr exclamation mark ck um, because they decided they wouldn't let me have that title. Or more recently, John Roberts. John Luke Roberts wanted to do, I think, and this is 
this is my interpretation of events rather than anything he said to me, but it seemed like he wanted to have a, a title that had emojis in it and wasn't allowed. So there is this sort of weird relationship where you go, OK, they have a style guide and I understand why they have that. But if they exist to facilitate the artists, the artists should be able to do whatever they want without being told, no, that's not allowed. You can't have an open access arts festival and then tell people things aren't allowed. But maybe it's not possible to administrate an open access arts festival if every fucker is coming up with stupid titles based on emojis and sound effects and interpretive dance in an attempt to in an attempt perhaps to stand out so how do you square that circle god knows i'm glad it's not my responsibility when i saw yesterday that the app and this will be old news now because this episode won't go out for a couple of weeks but i saw yesterday that the uh, that there was no app and howls of outrage totally understandable i have a smaller horse in the race this time i'm only doing a week um and to be honest, the fewer people see it, the better. But you can't say that because you definitely want people to come and see it. But uh, the room is too big, as I pointed out, and it would have made much more sense in a 30-seater. But nonetheless, here we are. So, outrage at the lack of an app um, and people going, hang on, I've paid for this, which they absolutely have. Everyone paid with the expectation of it, regardless of the sort of, oh, there's an alarm. Everyone paid with the expectation of an app. There is this increasing tension between the amount of money people pay in order to go into a brochure which no one in my I mean I, I don't even look at it anymore um, because why would you look at a printed brochure one would imagine that the value to the fringe organization of having a printed brochure is that they can sell loads of advertising in it and that they can sell inclusion in that brochure to acts and there it starts to become a bit muddy doesn't it because if you're if you exist to facilitate lots and lots of individuals and Christ as I said I don't envy anyone the job because talk about herding cats um I will now talk about herding cats the I imagine they're difficult to herd but I have no experience and maybe there's a knack um <laughs> the point is that it becomes muddy doesn't it because you expect you have certain expectations I you know you get all of these people together we need people to facilitate this otherwise it's chaos i get that it's not dissimilar to what happens on the street with the street performers all the street performers zoom into town they fly pitch they do sh shows all over the place that creates a crowd blockage problem the police come in they shut everyone down so then the fringe goes well we like having street performers because we take pictures of them and put them on all the advertising that we sell adverts next to that's like the face of the fringe so then you think to yourselves OK, well, in that case, there has to be street performing, so we have to regulate it. Otherwise, it becomes unmanageable and chaotic and people fly pitch against each other and everyone turns their amps up and turns the volume up and the whole thing gets shut down. So then you've got a situation where it's like, you know, humans and the police. No one likes the police. Some people like the police. But without the police, it's chaos. So then you've got to have, oh, well, now we've got this weird kind of tension between the concept of you know i mean there are anarchists i'm sure who listens to this and, uh, and i know anarchy isn't synonymous with chaos but my point is that you end up with you know people are going to behave like people which means loads of them will ignore the rules not know about the rules not pay attention what have you or actively rebel against the rules so if you need to manage those people such that everyone is safe, you need some sort of management and then there will be tension between people and management. So as it is with humans and the police, as it is with street performers and the, the, the management now, which is better than ever, thanks to the, the sensible banding together of the street performance community under the auspices of several individual humans, who I won't name so as not to embarrass the ones I can't remember. Um, but they've done brilliantly this year, better than ever. And comedy needs an equivalent body, except that 
we there are so many of us how is that manageable so then you have the lca and you go yeah great the live comedy association this is exactly what they should do represent everybody um and then uh presumably when the lca gets big enough um or you know there will then be a tension between i'm sure there already is tension between the individual comics represented by the lca and the lca itself and it just goes on doesn't it it goes on so if you had 10 people got together and said let's have a little festival one of us can be in charge of it that would become difficult so they go let's have more of us in charge of it more acts would join if it was successful then you've got thousands of acts 50 people in charge of it no one likes the decisions they make and it's all just the fucking end of the south park walmart episode isn't it i'm not saying there's no solution what I'm saying is, in the face, this is what I was talking about in the Facebook uh, group of this podcast. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Um, there's a really fascinating argument going on inside the... A, a discussion, a respectful discussion, going on inside the Facebook group about exactly you know the whys and wherefores of how long it takes to produce an app, whether the website is mobile-friendly enough that it doesn't need an app, whether people were promised an app or not, whether... Um whether people uh, having been promised an app deserve one or whether actually it's it's fit enough for purpose or whether the outrage of a huge community of people is sufficient that it sort of doesn't matter anymore or whether it's simply about messaging it's all absolutely fascinating so i look forward to your opinions on that um i have to say i think i think that even though I had a big, powerful, oh, Christ, how are people going to sell tickets? This is awful. I think we will get by if we can be bothered to learn the now and near function on the website, which is available from your mobile browser. It's not brilliant. I don't know how I feel about it. I don't. There was no there was no nothing last year. And that was a problem. I don't know how I feel about it. I feel distressed. Uh, and I feel like it must be impossible to manage the situation to everyone's satisfaction. And I just feel like it's about the messaging, isn't it? If you do, if you are trying to herd thousands of cats, you've at least got to be open with them and tell them the challenges that you're having as and when you're having them. Otherwise, you end up... I mean, there are people on Twitter saying, I'm going to take the fringe organisation to court because I paid 400 quid for an app and I'm not on the app. And I see their point. So... I don't even know. I don't know how big organisations work. I don't know what's a decent standard to which to hold people. But um, I do think that if you're going to facilitate thousands of artists, you need to tell them what you're doing. Hmm. Well, all of this, a fascinatingly lukewarm take, given that by the time you hear this, it would have been out for weeks. And I may well get in touch with Nathan in the next fortnight and say, uh, let's bin this. But there we go. Some thoughts. Basically, I feel that it all boils down to the end of the Walmart episode of South Park. And if you don't know what that means, look it up on the YouTubes. Um. 